Ladies and gentlemen, to those among you who are easily frightened, we suggest you turn away now. To those of you who think they can take it, we say, welcome to the madhouse. Madhouse, my name's Jimmy. Let's get this show on the road. How are you doing, Joseph? I'm good, Jimmy. Thank you very much for asking. How are you? Yeah, marvellous. Excellent. So the haunting. Yes. <laughs> Is that the intro we're going to go with? <laughs> yeah, it's the intro we're going to go with. Oh, okay. Yes, it was your choice, wasn't it? Yeah, it was my choice. Uh- do you want to tell the lovely people out in the world what it was? No, I want to tell the horrible people out in the world who listen to our podcast what it was. And it was The Haunting uh, from 1963, directed by Robert Wise. Not as good as I remembered it. <laughs> nah. Um, I think nostalgia uh, took over. And also the fact that it's classed as a classic. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, anyway. The Haunting, 1963. What did you think? As a, as a, just give us a first impression. Oh, it will give you a full first impression because it was the first time that I'd watched it. Okay. Uh, it's a bit of a slow burn. Yep. Uh, uh not a lot happens. Nope. I, uh, it's, it's based on the book Haunting of Hill House. Yep. And obviously, in more recent minds, we have just had the uh the tv show haunting of hill house uh-huh which we know was fucking amazing yes much better so yes and uh yeah so it was much better but i th- wasn't th- i think this one is mo- more closer to the book than the tv show yeah the so. tv show kind of it did a lot different to. The, I haven't read the book, by the way. This is all from just. No, checking, I haven't. I, I haven't read the book either. So they did a lot different from the book. The film is more similar to the book, but still had a lot yes. changed. I want to read the book, yeah. basically, so I can. Yeah. Do all all the uh, all the criticism. <laughs> yeah, it's nice in in the TV show. They have the same characters' names, don't they? Yeah. We've got Nell. We got Theo. We got Luke. Yep. They're all the, like this. They're siblings in the in the TV show, but in this, they're strangers. Yeah, and also, uh, oh, go on. No, no you go. go you go. No, you're on one. Go for no, it. I, no, it's fine. No, I was going to say something completely different. Oh well, I was just going to say, uh, in the film and the TV series, they had a couple of things from the book that I like that have kind of gone through all of them. One is um, a woman hanging themselves from the spiral metal staircase. Fucking amazing. Happens in the in the TV series uh, Haunting of Hill House, in The Haunting, and originally in the book. Also, the noticing of cold spots in the house where there's a ghost. Pretty yes. original idea originally for the book has been brought into The Haunting film and into The Haunting of Hill House. Yeah, uh, and now the statues I feel... in the orange. Sorry, just the statues no, in the orangery no, go... are... In I don't know if they're in the book, but they're in both the film and the TV series. Lovely. I was just going to say that I feel like I'm I'm setting my uh, own cold spot of uh, of my flat because it's very cold where I'm sat at the minute. I don't think it's haunted. I think it's because one Nat's a cheapskate and she doesn't turn the heater on in this uh, room. Tell and me she keeps about the door it. Shut. Yeah, she keeps the door shut. So not with Nat. I'm to... not saying tell me about it with Nat. I'm saying uh, it's the same in this house. I'm always like just whack the heating on for half an hour. It's freezing. Yeah, but this this room that I'm in right now, it doesn't get heated. It's ice cold anytime you walk in, oh, okay. and it's not haunted, which is a shame. Anyway, we should probably get on with the. Uh, 
something, shouldn't we? It's usually the plot slot first. But see, okay. you, you seem undecided as to what it is we should be getting on with straight away. <laughs> oh, no, I was just... Uh... I was just saying, let's should we get should we get on with something? Yeah, uh, you are hinting. What are you doing? <laughs> are you playing a game? No, I'm not playing on my phone. I'm setting the timer because we're about to go plot slot, aren't we? Ah, are you playing Tetris or something? Uh, yeah, I just text everyone when I'm talking to you. I just let you ramble on this podcast while I talk to my mates on text. Anyway, are you you're gonna start the plot slot, yeah? No, what? I'm gonna storm out in a rage. All right, well, then I'll pause recording and then it will seamlessly transition into you starting the plot slot like you never stormed out in a rage, okay? Yeah, next Thursday. <laughs> yeah, but in podcast land, it'll be like a second because of editing. Yeah. Right, so you storm out. <laughs> oh, God! And we're back. Right, are you ready? You start off with your first paragraph, yeah? In okay. five, four, three, two, one, boom. Dr. John Markway narrates the history of the 90-year-old Hill House, which was constructed in Massachusetts by Hugh Crane as a home for his wife. She died when her carriage mysteriously crashed against the tree as she approached the house for the first time. Crane remarried, but his second wife died in the house from a bizarre fall down the stairs. I like the fact you've written bizarre because that was the most bizarre thing in the film, that fall down the stairs. Yeah, she was probably pissed. That was great. I mean, we'll probably come back to it, but geez, she fell down those stairs like she was turning around looking for the mat while screaming and yes. trying to faint. All, like, there was all sorts going on. Terrible actress, basically. Yeah. Crane's daughter, Abigail, lived in the house for the rest of her life, never moving out of the nursery. She died calling for her nurse companion. The companion inherited the house, but later hanged herself from a metal spiral staircase in the library. Hill House was eventually inherited by a Mrs. Sanderson, although it has stood empty for some time. Markway wishes to study the reported paranormal activity at Hill House. He is allowed to begin his investigations on condition that he has Mrs. Sanderson's heir, heir Luke Sanderson, come with him. Among, among several prospective choices only two individuals accept markway's invitation to join the investigation a psychic theodora and eleanor lance who experienced poltergeist activity as a child eleanor spent her adult life caring for her invalid mother oh, whose recent death has left eleanor with severe guilt yeah she only feels guilty because she's happy she's dead yeah of course no don't blame her the group yeah. find the mansion's walls were constructed with awkward angles resulting in off-centre perspectives and doors that open and close by themselves. The library contains the spiral staircase from which the previous owner hanged herself. During the first night in the house, Eleanor and Theo are terrified by supernatural occurrences outside Theo's bedroom door. Banging is heard against the door and the voice of a young girl is heard echoing with laughter. Despite this, Eleanor feels attached to Hill House. The team explores the house the next day, discovering a cold spot outside the nursery door. Luke is convinced this is just a draft. Following another night of loud disturbances, the team discover the words help Eleanor come home, scrawled on a wall which causes Eleanor more distress. That night, Theo moves into Eleanor's room and they fall asleep in the same bed. Eleanor is That's awakened it. by the sound of a man speaking indistinctly and a woman laughing, fearful. Eleanor asks Theo to hold her hand and soon she feels a crushing grip. As Eleanor hears the sound of a young girl crying, she shouts at whoever is causing the child pain. Theo awakens to find that Eleanor has moved from the bed to the sofa and realises it was not Theo's hand she was holding at all. The following day, Dr. Markway's wife, Grace, arrives at Hill House to warn Dr. Mark... I'm sure she probably doesn't call him Dr. Markway. Anyway, the reporter has learned of his investigations there. Grace announces that she plans to join the group for the duration of the investigation and demands a room in the nursery, despite her husband's warning that is likely the heart of the disturbances. That's a load of bollocks, isn't it? 
how many yeah. rooms are in that house and she chooses the one they tell her not to have she's she seems like a bit of a handful grace he's yes. dr markway must have a very very like good patience because she seems like a very strong lady yeah but also <laughs> he's running off investigating ghosts all the time so they're probably just with shit the... for each other yeah with two young ladies <laughs> yeah what an excuse he has got that he has got that sexy tash though but that's getting loads of mustache rides <laughs> Yeah, sure, yeah. That's tickling some legs, isn't it? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Not Theo and Eleanor, though, because they might be gay. Well, definitely one of them is. <laughs> <laughs> that night, the group experiences loud banging. Oh, there he is. He's off on one, Mark Wade. <laughs> and an unforeseen force attempting to force its way through the living room in which they are staying. The banging then proceeds to move towards the nursery. Where sounds of destruction are destruction are heard, Eleanor runs towards the source and discovers Grace is missing. The next morning, Eleanor's mental instability worsens as she enters the library and climbs the dilapidated spiral staircase. Once she reaches the top, Grace appears at the trap door, startling Eleanor, who nearly falls to her death when she is rescued by Doctor Markway. Who cops a feel, doesn't he? Does he? Yeah, he cop he cops a right feel on her. Did he do the? When he grabs her back, and they're just standing there, and he's staring at her like, uh, yeah. like you know, waving his tash about, like you want a bit of this now. Do you think he can make his tash dance like uh, people can make their pecs dance? Yeah, of course. Like... You just look at the magnificent tash, and you just want to sit on it. I think it's a Terry Crews tash. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mark Way becomes alarmed at Eleanor's obsession with Hill House in spite of the dangers it poses. Eleanor pleads to stay while Mark Way insists that she leave. Eleanor then drives off and speeds down towards the front gates. The steering wheel moves as she struggles to regain control but then surrenders to the unseen force. Grace appears from behind a tree and steps in front of the car, leading Eleanor to steer into the tree, causing her death at last. I can speak for all of us, I think, when I say at last. <laughs> yes. Luke observes that a death as well, like one death. Jesus. Luke observes that Eleanor deliberately aimed the car at the tree, but Mark Way asserts that something was in the car with her, because obviously he'd know that from a car crash. Imagine turning up to a car crash and going, I'm sensing there was a ghost in the car with her. <laughs> and then you, she wasn't incredibly incredibly distressed that I tried to touch her up whilst yeah. my wife was in the house and that's exactly why she's fleeing it's not because there's ghosts it's because Dr. Markway's got wandering hand syndrome <laughs> he's, yeah it's a bit touchy feely yeah and she's like nah fuck this hanging out Put with Markway the lesbian who keeps blatantly trying it on and the, what, 16-year-old <laughs> boy who just keeps banging on about his inheritance in front of me like it's supposed to impress me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, fuck off. Where was I? Oh, yeah. Mark Quay, noting that the tree was also the one that killed Mrs. Crane. Thea remarks that Eleanor got what she wanted after all to remain with the Hill House forever. I think she may be missing the point. <laughs> Oh, you did you didn't you didn't use my punctuation very well there. Sorry. Uh Thea remarks that Eleanor got what she wanted after all to remain with the house. Hill House Forever. Thank you. <laughs> hey! Woo Yeah, that's a, that's another plot slot done uh, with two minutes left. Same as last time pretty much. Uh, sweet, we we're nailing this. Right. So should we now just talk about the uh, deep down sexual tension between Theo and Nell? Sure. Well, no, I just, well, no, we could just spell it out. Theo wants a bit of Nell. I don't know if Nell's involved. Do you reckon? Do you reckon she'd go for it? Um, I'd So probably... she might. Well, I don't know. I think they were supposed to be sexually attracted to each other but it was 1963 so I ended up having more of a friendship sleepover relationship <laughs> when was the book written? Uh, I think it was like 61 like only it wasn't that long before yeah. 
uh, less than five oh, years okay. before the film, I would say. Uh, the film censors uh-huh. apparently kept demanding that Theo never be shown to actually touch Eleanor, so the lesbianism was less obvious. But this, yeah. I mean, they did. They definitely touched, and it was a bit obvious that Theo wanted a bit of uh, Nell. And Nell even said something about her being unnatural at one point, didn't she? Saying this house is yeah. and discovering things unnatural like you, and it it could have been the fact that uh, she was uh, a mind reading weirdo or, or it could have been the fact she was a lesbian and it was the 60s and they thought it was unnatural yeah but then that's that's quite interesting because isn't theo in uh the tv series she's a lesbian isn't she and she doesn't like to touch things what tv series either hill house <laughs> no i don't know what if hill house theo in that is is gay as well. Oh, okay. Sorry, I thought you meant the actress Theo was in something else where she was also gay. No, okay. I'm talking about the. Sorry, I'm talking about the <laughs> character in Haunting of Hill House. Yes, because she's she yeah, she's gay in that, isn't she? Yeah. and she wears gloves, but it's because like she doesn't like to touch. Oh yeah, I wonder. I don't know. Maybe that's maybe that's something that you just maybe yeah. they just put that in there. Yeah, because uh, the uh, Theo in the haunting was told not to touch it too much and i could see the haunting of hill house people they obviously did a lot of research so they could have come across the same shit we come across and decide to incorporate it but yeah nice catch um are you ready for some fright and the lights what are you doing on camera to catch me <laughs> oh fuck's sake <laughs> <laughs> that's a nice catching jimmy has to simulate catching things on camera right and that's a perfect segue i guess for frights and delights <laughs> obviously what could be better <laughs> right let's get at it it's frights and delights what you got <laughs> i'm playing the intros very simple this week <laughs> no, i'm not uh, used is to that, it is it throwing you off a bit yeah, I, I you went like straight in and done. There was no traveling yeah. to the bar, no walking yeah. down the train, no, you know, yeah, all the usual. Yeah, I've gone straight through it. Yeah, cutting it right in. Boom, have it. I don't know how I feel about it to be honest. <laughs> throwing me, throwing me off the, my game. Right, okay. <laughs> Director Robert Wise read a review of the book, The Haunting of Hill House. By Shirley Jackson, and after reading the book, decided to get the rights to the film. He asked the author, Shirley Jackson, if she had ever considered any other name for the book that he could use for the film. She said the only one she had ever really thought of had been The Haunting. And that's what he went with the film. Um, Why didn't he just call it The Haunting of Hill House? Because it's 1963, and all films are called... The boo, or the blob, or the thing, or something like that. The howling. Yeah. Yeah, or... the thing didn't come out in 1960s, but... Well, you we'll know what I mean. Uh, I'm, I said the yeah, thing yeah, yeah. in a general covering for the thing, not the actual film, the thing. But, yeah, I, I, oh, okay. I recognise yeah. my mistake now. <laughs> so, yeah, I agree with you. Film name doesn't matter at all now, really. Get the point. No, because the, uh, the haunting, the haunting of Hill House is a great name. Yeah, maybe it was too close to House on Haunted Hill. I don't know. I don't know. When did House on Haunted Hill come out? Oh, I think, um, I think around this, possibly around the same time, maybe a little bit before. Yeah, I mean, we we've done that film, haven't we? <laughs> We should yeah. probably know between us. So maybe they got in first. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Maybe they got in first with that full title. Yeah. Good film, that, though. We'll review it again one day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe the remake. So Russ Tamblin, the guy who played Luke, only took on the role okay. because MGM threatened to end his contract. If he didn't, he, he didn't want to Why? take it on. He didn't want to take it on. He didn't want the job. Uh, obviously thought he was a bit too much of a... 
I don't know. I would say big name, but I never heard of Russ Tamblin. I don't know. He was giving it a bit of this, a bit of that, thinking he could probably get a bit better jobs, bigger roles, uh, be the Hollywood man, wise the hero. Maybe, but he didn't want to take on this job, was refusing it, and he had to threaten to end his contract with MGM. Because in those days, you were under contract with the studios. Do you know how it used to work? Right, okay. MGM would have their load of actors who were hired by MGM to work for MGM and they'd work on whatever films they told them to or whatever. Instead of these days where actors just work for the freelance, basically, whichever studio wants them next. Yeah. Oh, he was in uh, West Side Story. Oh, yes, he was. Yeah. He was Riff in West Side Story. Okay. So maybe maybe that's why he got a bit of a head on him. That West Side was Story was after this, though, wasn't it? Oh, was it? No, it was 1961. I'm oh, looking now. All right, okay. All uh, right. But yeah, he, he later said that it was his best role, or one of his best roles. What? I know, I'm this one that he played. This one that he played in The Haunting? It's apparently... He said this was his best role. No, he said it was one of his best roles. Maybe it challenged him more. I don't know. I don't care. Okay, so so words. one of his best roles. The other one was West Side Story. Yeah. two years before the other, the third was uh, the school at his high school play, and then he retired after this. I actually, I think he was. I think he was in um, Twin Peaks. All right. Did I say the school uh, at his the, high school the play? series? I meant the play at his high yeah. school. Anyway, Twin Peaks. He was in, was he? I think so. The TV series. I think he was in that. What's that a TV series about boobs? <laughs> <laughs> Never seen it. I've turned into one of beavers and butted <laughs> because um, I'm the other one, and you're just filling the gap. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not about boobs. Okay, I never seen. But I'm sure you. Twin I'm Peaks. sure you could find uh, a film somewhere on the internet called Twin Peaks that is about lovely jubblers. Yeah, I'm guessing you could. Yeah. Anyway, The Haunting of Hill House was rewritten for the screen by Nelson Gidding. His original spin of the story, and I quite like this, so I want to know what you think. Okay. His original spin on the book was that Eleanor, or Eleanor, was an insane woman who had been sent to an insane asylum, and this was all happening in the head of a mental patient. The other characters were the staff and the other patients, and all the noises and knockings going on were the result of her shock treatment therapy occurring in the real world outside her head. That's good. That's... When was this? When was that? I... When was that guy? When did that guy think of that idea? Well, this was his idea for the haunting, the film, but the idea was removed oh, but... after discussions with the author Shirley Jackson. So it sounds like she talked him out of it. This was before they actually did the the, the film that we just watched. Yeah, that that was an idea he had for the that film we just watched. Okay, because that's quite better. That's that's yeah, it is better, and it is quite. It's it feels like that's got a more. That's kind of a film that you would see nowadays. That it's would quite yes, that would be a more of a like the haunting for some reason is a big classic people hold up, but uh, it would be still something I think that people talk about and watch now more than The Haunting is, because it would a bit of a Shyamalan twist at the end. Exactly. Yeah, I like that idea better. Yeah, I preferred that. I, I read that and I thought, well, yeah, I should have gone with that. I mean, that was, that was pretty good, especially yeah. when you have that moment of realisation. And the film kind of plays like that anyway. You watch the film and there's, you don't see the ghost. You don't see anything. You just have this knocking going on that everyone's really scared yeah. of. <laughs> it would have made yeah. sense if it was outside her head and she was driving herself a bit more insane inside her own head yeah. and delusions. Yeah, I kind of think that maybe um Miss Mr and Mrs. Dudley maybe they were ghosts. Do you know what I mean? You're getting that vibe. You know, the caretakers. Okay, yeah. Do you remember them at the start? He lets he lets her yeah. in. Mister Dudley lets her in, and then she's the uh, the woman. She's like, "Oh, we don't stay here after dark. Your breakfast will be served at nine. I clear up at ten, and I'm off. I don't want to be here after dark." I yeah. thought, "Oh, maybe a little bit of a twist that they could be dead." And we see that in like haunting of 
Bly Manor. Don't want to give too much away if people haven't seen it. But spoiler alert, one of them is de- one or more of them are dead already. Yeah, and if you haven't worked it out by the end of the first or second episode. Uh, the uh, but do you know that happens you know in the I'm haunting saying? a hill house, doesn't it? Aren't there people who do not stay? They work. Yes, there. of course there are. Yeah, 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 yeah. There are. Yeah, people yeah. who work there who don't stay past dark. Yeah, I got one more fright in the light. All right, lovely. No, I haven't. I've already said it. I've got no more fights in the light. <laughs> <laughs> it was about the lesbian and the touching thing, but it came up earlier, so I whacked it in there. <laughs> what are we gonna do? Oh, terrible turn of phrase. What? Whacked it in there. Yeah, uh, and that is another, if I may say, brilliant segue <laughs> for us to mosey on over to the master of the macabre. Beautiful master of the macabre. Welcome to the Master of the Macabre. We usually choose our best actor or actress in this segment. But today, I guess we're going to decide whose performance we found the least haunting. Oh. I have got nowhere else to go with this. Whose we find the least haunting. That's it. Have you got any choices, Jimmy? Because if I'm completely honest with you, I have not filled in this section of my notes. <laughs> okay, well, I'll give you a little rundown. Okay. Okay. Yes. I have a drink while you... I don't have... I don't have... Well, actually, I probably do. It's probably going to be literally the the one that I find least annoying. The least haunting, so, you might say. Oh, sorry. Yes, of course. The least haunting. So there's four in the list. Uh, we've got Russ Tamblin, who played Luke Sanderson. Just wisecracking. Uh, I like the fact that uh, there's a couple of times where he just pops downstairs because he wants to get a drink, and it's clearly like half one in the morning. He just pops down for a whiskey. It's basically a free bar, though, isn't it, down there? So, Yeah. Anyway, he's an annoying prick anyway. I don't think he should get it. Uh, Theodora, played by Claire Bloom, uh, she didn't really do anything. Do you know what I mean? She's yep. just sort of there. She wasn't really, she didn't really get involved. She had much. to say her lines with a slight air of mystery, as in, I'm guessing what you're feeling right now every time. So you could go now, I'm feeling rather, and I can go, pissed. And you go, genius, you're reading my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Well done. Yeah, thanks. Congratulations. Well done. But she played the she played the cat she played the character all right. Yeah. Uh, Julie Harris who played Nell Lance. Now I don't know about you. Shit. But oh, I could not stand it. Any time she was on the fucking screen, I cannot stand it. She's all over the place. She's absolutely mental. Like, all over the place. One minute, she's like, fine. And then she's shouting and hysterical. I suppose it's supposed to be like that, but it just comes across as terrible, terrible acting and a very, very annoying character. Tell you what I find very, very annoying is the voiceover. (laughs) Which one at the start? No, her internal monologue that we hear. Oh, fuck. Yes. Oh, God. Yes. Yes. So irritating. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. It feels like bad voice acting as well. Not just that it's a bad decision, which it is, but it's bad. it feels like bad voice acting. And I know what you mean about her jumping from one state to another. And yeah, that is a character thing. She's mental. But it feels like... I don't know. It, it's just... It feels like bad acting. Like, she's like, I'm fine. No, wait, no, am I not fine? And an internal monologue. Does Marquay love me <laughs> after two days? I should stay in this house yeah. forever, shouldn't I? Should I? No, maybe. Mummy! Yeah. <laughs> it's mental. <laughs> but, and, she, and she was like that with the- Theo as well. Yeah. Like, she'd be really happy with Theo for a second, and then something would happen, and she'd be like, don't touch me! No, don't touch me! 
Yeah. She'd go crazy at her. But then poor Theo, the next day, she would go up to her and just be like, oh, like be everything is normal. Not like, you know, oh, you just kicked me out of bed last night. Yeah. So and everything na- na- would be back to normal in the morning and <laughs> Nell would be acting all fine and everyone would be all right about her and Nell would be going in her head. Oh, yes. Oh, I hope I didn't offend anyone last night, but this house, it has this hold over me. Oh, tea. Lovely. Oh, my God, Theo! Just mental. <laughs> it it like, is like that, yeah. all over the shop. But it's not even that. It's like Theo says something about, huh, yeah, you were... You were a bit odd last night, but it's fine. Odd? Why don't you just all tell me you hate me and I'll fuck off home, you <laughs> cunt? It's like, wow, yeah, exactly. Jesus. Like, calm, calm down. Like, you did kick someone last night, basically. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so far, we've got to maybe not Harris. <laughs> you were, you no, were, I'm not. You were telling me I'm who not. you were. You were, doing me, you were doing your rundown of Master and the Macabre prospects. And you haven't done them all yet, I don't think. Well, yeah, this is this is the the only one I've got is uh, the last one now is Richard Johnson who played Doctor Markway. That's all I can yeah, boil I mean, it down to. I think his acting was good. I haven't you made any I mean? notes, but he is the only person who did, I think, a good job. Yeah, he's in a couple of bangers as well. All right, go on then. What else he in? He's done some good. Uh, he's done some. Uh, he's good. Done some good stuff. Tales of the Unexpected. He was in. Yeah. Okay. Uh, he was in the Monster Club. Nice. Which uh, Headstone Horrors have a song called uh, "Monster Club" after yeah. this film. Monster, oh, like 1985, 87. Monster Club, isn't it? Eighty-one. Very close. Yeah. Is it eighty-one? Uh, zombie Flesh Eaters. He was in, which is good. Merge. We don't play she Monster wrote... Club anymore, do we? Nah, it's because it's shit. Oh, okay. <laughs> so you just plugged it. <laughs> plugged <laughs> and then it, told plugged it, it fucked shit. it. Plugged it and fucked it. <laughs> if you want to hear one of our shit songs, go listen to Monster Club. <laughs> I'm struggling to... I can't even remember it, to be honest. Right now. Nah, we got better ones. Anyway, I think... Uh, and his Tash just fucking steals the show. And he's got like that smooth 60s voice, and he? So we're going to give it to him or his Tash? Um, or a joint. Half and half, I reckon. Yeah. I mean, they're attached. So we could do a, we could give him, we could send him a big trophy and we could send him his Tash, a little tiny one. Okay, yeah, let's do that. Put it there. Yeah, put that. Pop it, pop it there up his nose and he can hold it like that. Or he could put it on the shelf like he probably will do with the other trophy. Yeah, put it on his lip shelf. Where he keeps his mustache. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. It's not a real trophy, so this conversation is pointless. It's it's, it's a mental thought we send out into the world and hope yes, that the vibes. deceased actors <laughs> that we give it to somehow know they've won. Actors. Or actresses. Or oh, you're doing actors in... Actresses. Okay, yeah. He was all right. <laughs> he was all right. Yeah, he was good. He yeah. was good. He was in Tomb Raider as well, The uh, the shit one. They're all shit. Which one? Whoa there, Tiger. <laughs> Whoa there. Whoa oh. there. The shit one with uh, Angelina Jolie. Yeah. The other one, the newer one, it's good. Oh, I've not seen the newer one. I didn't know there was a newer one. Oh, watch it. Watch it. And you need to play all the new games because they're fucking banging. I shall. Good story. Good action. Good. I might do. Instead of playing Red Dead. Very... What? What? Go on, carry on. I didn't hear. Instead of playing, I was about to play Red Dead for the second time through. Red Dead Two. Okay. Yeah, fair play. But maybe I should play something new. See the UFO. Did I see the UFO? Oh, in Red Dead. Yeah, I did. You go out to that hut, and there's like some sacrifice inside, and it turns down, and then goes away, and it's over forever, and aliens never come back, and it's sad. That's the main story, isn't it? The rest of it's just filler. (laughs) are you ready to uh, do some rating do some what rating rating yes (laughs) fucking hell Jimmy I just uh, just saw where you were going with that yes rating yeah boy rating with a T the man house
Oh, here we go. It's the Madhouse rating system. And you know what? First up, it, as always, is tension and suspense. So you may have noticed the whole film is set inside a house. Yes, or a mansion. A mansion, as the French would say, probably. Yeah, yeah, it's French. <laughs> it's French, no isn't it? It's French with big house, mansion. Is that a man with big house? Man, C means with big, and yon is house, mansion. Yeah, French, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. Mansion. So Robert Wise, the director, played on the fact that a small group of strangers were spending time trapped together in creepy rooms. And he purposefully amplified that those claustrophobic tones of the film with camera shots and positioning of actors to increase the tension and drama within the story. I don't have much to say on tension and suspense because it was a very simple film. Yeah. But one thing that I will... In fact, there's more thing, a few things I'll give credit for. Camera shots were good. Absolutely fantastic. Especially the house. Camera yep. technique... There were shots way ahead of the time with the different lenders blurring. There was one where it was panning right to left and they obviously had a distortion kind of lensy thing on. I don't know anything about cameras, by the way. You may you may know yeah. <laughs> from this description. <laughs> but it distorted the shot. And a lot of thought went into it. And I suspect in 1963 that had a lot of an effect because it wasn't as easy to do shit then as it, wasn't, as it is as it is now. So, the whole set was designed to throw you off. And the set was yeah. fucking awesome. Yeah. In fact, it should have won Master of the Macabre, but we've already done it. Set designers. Yeah, we could Yeah, we could do that posthumously. Well, they're all dead, so... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but that's all I got, really, for tension and suspense. Uh, I don't think the acting really built up much tension and suspense, apart from Professor Markway's speeches that he did, which put you in the in, in the house. They put you in that place. Yeah, so back in the day, this was supposed to be, like, one of the spookiest films of the time, wasn't it? I yeah, don't yeah. think it has aged very well. Would you know what rating it is now? Now? Yeah. Uh, what? I don't know. PG? Well, uh, it's a 12. <laughs> oh, it's 12. Okay. I don't understand the rating system, but I don't understand our rating system either. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> <laughs> no one does. That's the beauty of it. We can do whatever we want. And no one knows we, we did it well. Or we could have done it really well. We could have done it terribly, and no one knows. But anyway. Okay. So, yeah. I think. For me, I think it, it, it all kind of just builds up to nothing. Yeah. I don't... I, uh, it's a slow burner. I think most of the the good tension happens in the last, I don't know, 15 minutes. Isn't it? Maybe. Yeah. It it had the set, all... it had the camera angles, good director. Yeah. The story was just lacking anything. And it was just one of those it the story could have been anything. Just whack five yeah. people in a house, trap them in, have some banging on the walls and one of them going a bit mental, one of them scared, one of them gay, one of them young and after money, and one of them was the guy who was like, Maybe if we think about it a bit more, the supernatural could lead yeah. us to the answers. So I think there's probably like there's hundreds more films that have done that better. Yeah. So I don't I don't think even looking I at it from the point of view of the time that it was made, I feel Yeah. Nah. Half a point is my opinion. I'd just say no. Not like, even... gosh, you're cool. You're the you're the, the big man on campus. I'm not the big man on campus. Uh I I think it has to be a joint decision. <laughs> I I think uh, the I will argue my point basically that half a point is uh, because the set was designed to 
and it's so good. But maybe that's in uh, visual effects. Yeah, right, that's got it. nothing Let's to do with the, the yeah. tension or suspense, yeah. has it? Give it a zero then. Give it all right, zero. Zero. I beat it to the camp man on biggest. Wait, big man on campus, something like that. I don't know. Big man on campus. <laughs> camp man on biggest. Jimmy Fortner. Right, What's next that? up we've got um what what is next? I fucking always forget the second one. I'll do it in your voice and then no one will know the difference. All right, go on then. Uh, it's gore and visual effects. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> so did you not realise that's, that's exactly it? Or I may have been a bit off slightly with the accent and the voice and the tone. No, apparently spot on. <laughs> Right, go on visual effects. Was that you said, Jimmy? There. Yes, it was. Yes. Oh, well done. Hard to tell through that accent. <laughs> <laughs> so the fact the film is in black and white is the first thing you notice. I assumed a film in 1963 would have been colour because it was after the transition. But I guess it's in the period where some people were still transitioning from preferring one to another. Not transitioning like that, Jimmy. It was apparently an artistic yeah. choice made for the style of the film that they wanted to make. Or, I'm incorrect in thinking that 1963 was the century of colour. Decade of colour. Was it? I feel like by the 60s, most shit was happening in colour, wasn't it? Uh, Yeah, possibly, but I think it was... Didn't they film it and then colour it? Wasn't wasn't was it colourised? Oh shit! Yeah, they did. We did talk about that in Night of the Living Dead. And no, we talked about how they colourised Night of the Living Dead when we did that from black and white. Yeah, but I know. Yeah, I know they did that with House on Haunted Hill as well. I know they've done it with a few black and white films. So I, I'm not really sure when, when the full first. Color film. I don't know what the first color film was actually. I don't. Well, anyway, the 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 first anyway. thing I I realized starting it up, visual effect, black and white. When color was an option in '63, I'm not saying everyone was doing yeah. it. The shot of the house standing against the backdrop of the blurry dark sky that was used numerous times was made using, and uh, I've never heard of this before, but an infrared film. Ooh. So I've heard about infrared, uh, like a spectrometry that they use for astronomy. I don't know how they did it onto an infrared film. Obviously, it means that it films further into the spectrum of the red end of the scale, of the color scale. Okay. So I don't know how it was possible, but they did that to get an effect. But in black, maybe doing it and then having it in black and white gave it a certain effect. I had a bit of trouble understanding that one, but I came across it a few times. I guess you would need to know more about film. You know, who would know? Zoe Heslop. Who would? Yeah, okay, why? Because she's doing a master's in filmy stuff. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. So if you're listening, Zoe, email us about what infrared film is, because I have heard about, you know, infrared telescopes. And I don't understand how it would work on film. Anyway, moving on. The house was an actual house in Warwickshire and provided all the yeah. exterior shots, whereas the interior shots were all on a soundstage. Many of the interior shots were shot with a lens that added the slight curve to the picture, adding a feeling of distortion to the film. And the shot up the spiral staircase. Do you know about this, Jimmy? I don't know. This is... Uh, I got two that I saved for the end that I of this section, which I think are pretty cool. So the spiral staircase shot, there was a shot where the camera went up the spiral staircase as Eleanor is walking up. And it's not just because it's a good shot, it's because they built a camera rig specifically to fit the balustrade of the spiral staircase they used. So it had, like, wheels that ran down it. Do you know what I mean? Okay. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah. they, they positioned it at the top and let it run all the way down while filming. 
and then reverse that film footage slowly to make it look like it was going up. Ah. Exactly. Ah. Nice. is the correct word. So they got their required effect through doing that. Another one is a shot I noticed while watching the film that I have seen praised in another film. I cannot remember the name of, but it's very modern film. And it is done better in the modern film. But there is a shot where Eleanor is running down a hallway towards the camera, screaming, going, Oh no, Theo touched me, or something like that. Yeah. And uh, she runs, and it turns out that the camera was shooting through a mirror, and she runs into the mirror. It's hard to explain. Uh, Do you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. She's running down, yeah, and she yeah. hits the mirror and, and the camera, and that was a really good shot. So in in terms of uh, visual effect, that was a really good directorial choice. But they they actually did a lot of good things with mirrors. There was a lot of mirrors in quite a lot of the shots that in the background, and uh, you could just catch the reflection of maybe a little part of the the actors on the mirror in the background, and it sort of catches your eye for a little bit in the background. Like, oh, what was that? Oh, uh, it's like oh, it's a mirror. You could just just see them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it makes you feel like m- maybe you're Ooh. seeing something just out of eye shot. Yeah, it's like, oh, what was that? And it was like, there's loads of them in the shot. And I think they missed the trick with this because there was a lot of, uh, in Hill House, there's a lot of statues and stuff and busts of things. And they were in quite a lot of shots. And I think they missed out on um, maybe just, have one shot and you could just see that little statue in the background and then get in the next shot and the statue moved. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Just turned a little bit. You're, you're thinking think along mixed. the lines of modern expectations that I was thinking as well. I know what you yeah, mean. Yeah, but I Would think they could have really done good. that in that. They could have just gone, oh, look, we just pop that there for one minute and then, oh, pop it there for a minute. Yeah, I agree with you. And they did a lot of that in the series, didn't they? Haunting a Hill House series. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Stuff all over the place. And it was it was really good. But yeah, I know what you mean. A trick missed. But yeah. they did use the mirrors to make it feel like that was there, maybe. Yeah. What do you what do you want to give it? I I wanna give it a big I'm gonna give it a big thumbs up. Okay. Or a star. It's a star, isn't it? It is a star in this one, yeah. It was Dirty Nappies last week. A star this week. Who knows what will be next week? I don't know what your choice is. Oh, well, we, it's a special one next week. What, oh, is it? Yeah, you know it is. Schmack shit. Get it? I thought it was anyway, a, I thought... what's up? Right, what's up next? We got... Um... Shit, what is it? Sound effects? Sound effects? No. Uh, perfor- uh, perf- blah, blah, bombs. Performance. That's the one. <laughs> hey, up. Next one. It's performance. Mostly, it was shit. <laughs> uh, yep. No stars. Moving on. Just like that. <laughs> no, no, I, I do want to have one thing to say. Oh, okay. Uh, and this is just about what may have been a performance. I just saw this and thought it might be interesting about maybe a performance choice. So Julie Harris, who played Eleanor, was either yeah. a dick or suffering from depression or oh. method acting. So oh. during shooting the film... She avoided the other performers. While the rest of the cast was hanging out, Harris would seclude herself and purposefully not talk to them. No one knew why or knew what they had done. Later on, after filming had wrapped, Harris turned up at Claire Bloom's house to explain that she just wanted to be the outsider to help her find her character as the character was supposed to be a bit insane, separate from the other characters. It was also oh. reported that Harris was suffering from depression, though, at the time, and would cry while her makeup was being applied before scenes. 
So who knows what was going on? Oh, maybe it was method. I do feel like the crying before scenes could have been method. She could have been getting herself into it, you know. Uh, yeah. If, if it's depression, then that sucks. Um, I mean, obviously she was going through a shit time, which I don't like to believe. But then method, I also feel like that's treating people like shit. Um, to basically achieve what was in the end a shit performance anyway. But at the time, apparently it was good. So yeah, maybe yeah. So anyway, uh, I don't know if that sways your decision at all. I I don't think it will. But no. that's what I found. What would you say for performance? Zero nil point. I felt like giving it. There are five people, aren't there? Yes. So I felt like giving it one fifth for Mark Way. <laughs> one fifth. Okay. Okay. Yeah. One fifth. One fifth of a star. Yeah. Uh, okay. What's next? Um, it's overall experience, isn't it? No, we got one more musical score and sound effects. Oh, okay. It's musical score and sound effects. Well done. It was fine. <laughs> I think it was really good, actually. <laughs> yeah. Got all that. Um, it's got all that sort of stuff that you want. In that type of horror film, I think when it's dark, you've got that dark type music. When it's uh, when they're driving up, oh, it's happy. She's getting away from her sister and her dead mum. Oh, it's all happy. That kind of shit. I thought it was alright. Yeah, it was fine. Um, did you have? And this is a strange question. I don't think I've asked you before about uh, this kind of thing. Did you have a problem with sound levels? You know, sometimes you have a film that has a problem with sound levels. Well, yeah. But talking was like... an old film. And then there was something happening. It goes, BADA! And I'm like, holy shit. Yeah, but that's our, that's down to our modern TVs. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Themselves. It's why when you, like, you watch... Uh, an action, it's our flat screen TVs when why you watch an action film and the action's always louder than the the speaking it's because of the speakers fair enough problem yeah. solved yeah there you go yeah I liked uh, the score it was fine the choices were fine it did feel very standard haunted house film score especially for 1960s but maybe it wasn't exactly standard at the time we just feel like it is now because we've heard it a lot. Ticked all the boxes. Didn't create any more boxes to be ticked. Does that make yeah, sense? Fair yeah, why not? So I am either half star or full star on musical score and sound effects. Although I'm giving it full star. Uh, fair enough. I have I one more point it... on it, actually. Uh, Robert Wise would play sounds live on set as they were shooting to get real reactions from the actors. Nice. Created a more organic feel, go. apparently. Responses from the characters helped the sense of horror in their performances. Bit of this, Lovely. bit of that. It's all right. Brilliant. Where are we, though, so far on uh, the score? Uh, two and one-fifth. That's a new, that's new, isn't it? They've not done that before. <laughs> Never done that before. Two and one-fifth. So the last one is uh, overall experience. So for overall experience, it's a tough one. I was like, given the year and the other stuff that's around, and I thought, well, what other films came out this year? 1963. And I checked, okay. and there was The Birds, Alfred Hitchcock. <sighs> The okay. Raven. Classic. Okay. Yeah. Twice Told Tales and a Comedy of Errors. So The Raven, yeah. Twice Told Tales and a Comedy of Errors, all three which feature our Lord and Saviour, Vincent Price. Bits older, bits of price. Ah, uh, bits older, price. Just found my new ringtone. <laughs> definitely go early there. It's definitely a text message alert at least. Anyway, three in a, three in a year for Vincent Price that year. 
and I and I feel out of that list. I mean, there were more, but I didn't feel like I could include them because I hadn't seen them. I've seen these films, and I know they're good. So I would go for a half for overall experience as well. If you wanted to push for a point, but I am happy to leave it at two and a fifth. I'd leave you. I'd leave it at two and one fifth because okay. if that's what you're putting it up against in that year, birds. The Even raven. just putting it up against birds is nah. The birds Bollocks. and the raven. Not, that's two bird-based yeah, exactly. films in one year. When does that so happen? I'd just rather. Well, exactly. I'd rather just. I'd rather just watch birds. Uh. Than the haunting, so yeah, bollocks to it. So it's two and a fifth. Two and a fifth. It might not be the best, but it's original. <laughs> oh yeah. So next episode is number thirty, and that means one thing: we're doing. Another George A. Romero classic. Oh shit! That time already. Oh yeah, <laughs> and it came out in the beautiful year of nineteen eighty-five. Yeah, boy. Two years before the best year ever. Nah, you're wrong. <laughs> anyway, right. so we'll give you a little taster. A small group of military officers and scientists dwell. In an underground bunker, as the world above is overrun by zombies! No way am I gonna miss this one. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know it. It's Day of the Dead! Hell yeah, it is. And I cannot believe we're up to episode 30. Yeah, we could have been at more, but. Never Shit. mind. <laughs> 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 Shit happens. Yeah. I reckon we could have been up to uh, episode 40 nearly by now. Yeah, probably. Or 31. <laughs> 31 oh, or 32. Yeah, probably. Anyway, Day of the Dead. Day of the Dead. There's a bit of a leap in uh, time, isn't there? From uh, Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, and then Day of the Dead. Do you mean in real time? Yeah, in the years that they were made. I can't hear this. I can't remember the specific years, but yes, right, Night of the well, Dead was sixties, early sixties, wasn't it? Yeah, and then it was seventies, uh, early seventies, was it? Eighties, yeah. So they're a decade, didn't they? One a decade, decade of the dead. Oh fucking! You should write that down. <laughs> fucking <laughs> hell! That's a that's a fucking banger, that is. Write that down, we'll have that. So I write decade the story the for dead. Decade of the Dead. That's ten... the one he missed out on. Story told <laughs> over ten years in the naughty, starting in, in uh, what year is it, 2020, when the coronavirus started, and by the middle of 2021, the first zombies started appearing, taking over the world. Mid-20s oh. is a full-blown war. Everyone's hunkered down. Jimmy's practically coming in his pants because his dreams have come true. By the end of 1930s, he's absolutely knackered from the wankathon and decides to finally take on the zombie horde. <laughs> Did I say 1930s? I meant 2030s. Unless there's time travel in this film, which will make it even better. Well, of course. <laughs> but yeah, that's a, that's an absolute... Go on, we'll have that. We'll take that for uh, for another... Another what? <laughs> film. We'll write that film, basically. <laughs> We'll write that film. We'll write, yeah. Should we? Should we do that? As I, uh, we've all been always been banging on about making our own uh, film, horror film. We should do Decade of the Dead. Although, to be fair, have we got time to make a Decade of the Dead? <laughs> no, not really. Anyway, sorry, I blanked out there for a minute. But yeah, we should we should take on George A. Romero's grab the the reins. Yeah, I can. Yeah, it's just. And the last one and go decade of the dead to uh, foot wide dick, throwing something <laughs> off to the side, and then done a fake splatter all over the camera. So yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> anyway, 
Day of the Dead. And then uh, and maybe we'll release Decade of the Dead one day. That's going to be great. But for now, we are done for the evening. I apologize for everything you've just had to listen to. But for now... What? Booyakasha. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app, iTunes, or wherever you find your podcasts. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram and email us your requests, views, opinions, crazy ramblings, and personal horror stories to the Madass Podcast at Outlook.com or don't, as many of you have chosen to do so far. Jimmy and myself <laughs> will see you in a fortnight for our next episode on George A. Romero's third classic of the dead, Day of the Dead. Yeah, boy! Oh, fuck. Yes. Oh, God. Yes. Yes. Oh, fuck. Yes. Oh, God. Yes. Yes. Oh, fuck. Yes. Oh, God. Yes. Yes.